Hey Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. I'm thrilled to get to chat to you. Uh, happy to be here, thank you. <laughs> so first of all, I would love to just ask you to tell us a little bit more about sort of your, your evolution into creating Boyish. I know that you worked in denim for a while and you know, interestingly we're at Reformation for a bit. So can you just kind of tell us how exactly you ended up creating such a sustainable gene line? Yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is a lot of people always ask, like, was there a defining moment when you decided you wanted to make jeans sustainable? And, you know, just in general fashion. And uh, I always tell people, I'm like, it's not really a thing that just happens. I feel like it's a sort of progress through your life. I've been making jeans. I started making jeans for myself when I was like uh, 18. And, uh, and even before and when I was like 16, I, I started printing shirts and, and things like that. Um, more so in the realm for myself, my friends, and, and, and locally around town. Not so much that I thought I was ever going to be in fashion. It wasn't until, until, my, uh, until I was about like 2021, 20, I had a friend that said he wanted to start a company. And I was wearing a pair of my jeans I had reconstructed. He's like, well, why don't we make a jean company? And so I literally just went to LA and drove around and, and, and found a couple factories and started walking into them and, and talking to people, becoming friends with them and learning pretty much hands-on from the people that know how to make everything. And I just put the design part together on my own, uh, you know, with just looking at everything else, taking things apart. Uh, and the uniqueness of, of doing things like that is you learn hands-on what is really involved and what is behind the scenes. And I, as my career started to progress and I got really interested in the chemical side of things, I started meeting chemical companies because I wanted to figure out how to make my jeans look more unique and more authentic, how jeans used to look. Because we went through this really interesting period of time over the last 20 years where they started putting more and more plastics into jeans. When I say plastics, I'm talking about stretch or what they call polyurethane, lycra, spandex, whatever you want to call it. And these, uh, these stretch yarns, and polyester yarns that they put with them to make them so that they don't stretch out, they actually make the quality worse. And they make the wash look more flat. And there's just the whole sort of problems that came with it. And with me, I, I thought, well, why don't we just not do all that shit? Like less, less material, less, um, or not less material, but you know, like less ingredients, you know, um, just simplicity. So, I realized that actually, you know, these old 100% cotton jeans were the most sustainable jeans you can make because they were recyclable. They were all natural. You know, if you, if you grew the cotton organically and then used safe dye practices and safe laundry uh, practices uh, when washing the garments to look vintage, then you can have one of the most sustainable jeans. The only issue is that girls don't really like rigid jeans because they want the stretch, the comfort, because guess what? I mean, women's body types are very vastly different, but the most difference between each girl is their bottoms. You know, they can have the same top and extremely different bottoms. And, uh, you know, doing the rigid denim actually was, <laughs> hinders that, makes it a little bit difficult, but for me, it was more about sustainability. So we wanted to focus on that. And, you know, so there was just, a, it was, it was, a, it was an adventure. And even now, um, you know, I'm practicing with replacing these plastic fibers that give jeans stretch with using um, plant-based fibers that come from trees. Um, 
and working with companies to try to utilize a more uh, plant-based uh, industry within denim and just fashion in general. Because we just launched even uh, our t-shirts and sweatshirts and soft goods that is made with organic cotton and a new fiber called Refibra. And uh, Refibra is actually mixed with Tencel. So it's actually recycled um, scraps from the fashion industry that they would normally just throw away. And uh, Tencel is taking them and putting them through their process of making Tencel to actually get a recycled Tencel version, and uh, which is the most sustainable fiber uh, you can probably use considering the amount of water and land resources and pesticides that it doesn't use in comparison to say even cotton. Because even organic cotton uses a lot of water, uses a lot of land. Um, it makes the land infertile by, by doing um, what you call uh, tillage, when you turn the land over after the crops are dead. And um, so these are things that we're trying to look into uh, to figure out the best process of sustainability. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and I want to get more into like the individual issues with the denim industry, because I know it's rife with them. But in terms of design, I think like what's really interesting about what you've achieved with Boyish is that the jeans are cool and they're well-made and they work for, you know, like you say, they work for the majority of women's bodies. So how did you kind of come up with like, you know, what was your design background and how, how have you taken that through into Boyish? My, uh, I think it kind of comes from my, my family. My dad's a contractor. Um, he would um, build homes, do remodels, cabinets. He was always such a perfectionist. He always liked everything kind of, you know, the design to come together and, and all the lines to meet and everything. So just growing up, I think I got kind of used to that. My, uh, my mother worked for Chanel and she uh, was, so she worked for the, um, the cosmetics portion of Chanel for ever since she was in her twenties. And so just being her shopping and being interested in fashion, I think all of her life just kind of bled into my life. And then, um, you know, I just, I get inspired by the people around me. I like the way that things look. So I like things to look a certain way. And, uh, you know, I had a couple girlfriends over the course of uh, the last 10 years that have, um, you know, inspired me to want to make more women's clothes because of the way women appreciate uh, clothing more so than men. Men, it's more functionality. Women, it's more uh, artistic in a certain way. Um, and that's what I like to do with jeans is jeans kind of feel like a certain way that people kind of connect to it more so than any of the other products that they have There's a real connection between the consumer and their pair of jeans when they find one that they really like. And so when I apply all of our design practices, I want to make sure that they're sustainable, but we never sacrifice good design. So that's the thing and, and good quality too. You know, there can be something that's super sustainable, but if the quality or the design isn't there, then we won't use it. And also the other way around, if something looks good, but if the sustainability and the quality is not there, then we will not use it, which doesn't leave a lot for us to choose from. But we make the best, you know, uh, that's the thing. That's actually, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they make products, they find fabrics. And that was the one issue I realized was keeping me back from being truly sustainable was I can't find things that are already made that meet my requirements. So I started finding people that would allow me to make our own fabrics. And so we started designing fabrics and uh, not just fabrics, but yarn. 
designing the yarn and like where the materials came from, which farm they would come from, um, which supplier they would come from. And if these suppliers all had the certificates and, and uh, pretty much third party certifications behind them to prove what they're doing is actually uh, foundationally um, sustainable, uh, you know, fair labor, uh, you know, free of, of harmful chemicals, RSL, RSL, working with companies like, uh, you know, GOTS on the chemical side and also uh, Oecotex. And uh, at the end of the day, we end up with a product that we feel very happy with that looks good on the design level and meets requirements that are vastly beyond a lot of other companies' requirements when it comes to sustainability. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point for my next question to pick up on because I feel like, I feel like having spoken to a lot of press, like 2019 was the year of like the sustainable denim capsule collection or the conscious denim capsule collection or whatever. And, you know, speaking to press, they were like, well, but you know, I literally, I'm getting so many press releases and they all say, this is what's going on. We're doing this, we're doing less water, we're doing blah, blah, blah. And, you know, having spoken to you and having spoken to the, we only have one other denim brand on Rev and it's solely a vintage line. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the only thing I can come up with that really meets the sustainability criteria that I would feel confident selling on Rev Envers. But, you know, just for, for our customers who might not be so familiar with this term of greenwashing, which I know you and I probably throw around all the time. Can you explain a little bit about what greenwashing is just particularly in context of the fashion of the denim industry within fashion and and how people are kind of justifying all of these like conscious capsule collections of sustainable denim yeah i mean at the end of the day i believe progress not perfection and uh that's the thing about sustainability is i feel like a lot of people maybe think that if they do one tiny little thing that makes them sustainable mm. and yes I think it's good that they're they're doing something you know because uh, the first step is always the most difficult however when you apply the terminology greenwashing what that means is that if you do one tiny little thing you know let's just say it's maybe five percent of your overall products that you make are sustainable products five percent but you use all of your marketing tactics to show that you make sustainable products. That would be considered greenwashing. Greenwashing means that you try to say that you're doing something good, but you're really not. Um, even though you are, even though you maybe are doing good things, foundationally, I guess you would maybe have to put it to the uh, less or more, um, you know, percentages. If you're doing at least, I guess, fifty-one percent good things, then maybe you can consider yourself sustainable. 49% would be just under the lesser mark of doing bad, but still 49% bad, still a decent, uh, decently large number. You know, with, with Boyish, when we set out for like zero waste, which is our goal, you know, we look at every detail. We look at every zipper, every, every thread, every stitch. Uh, we look for an opportunity to innovate. And the thing about innovation, I think it was uh, Elon Musk who said, uh, you know, if you're not innovate or if you're not failing, you're not innovating, I guess, I think that was what it was. But the concept is that, you know, innovation, you know, is going to have failure because if you're not trying something new, you know, and it's, it's failing, then you're not really trying something new. 
And that's the mentality of, of sustainability is that sustainability is breaking down the principles of old tactics. You don't have to continuously do the same thing over and over again. It's a new world that we live in. We need to be evolving for practices that benefit humans and the earth. Because at the end of the day, if we don't have an earth, we don't have humans. And this mentality of everybody winning and succeeding uh, with doing whatever they need to is, is something that I feel is out of place. That mentality, it's, it's a strong arming mentality. I mean, supply chains and fashion can be overly complex, um, which make it nearly impossible to trace and verify a company's environmental and labor standards. That's why we keep our supply chain very, uh, very simple, um, because we're not trying to hide behind curtains. And, you know, there are companies out there that claim that they're radically transparent or that they, you know, you know, have the most sustainable this or that. It's not about having the most sustainable. It's not being the most sustainable. It's just about doing what's right. And there are people out there that don't give a shit about whether they're doing it right and whether or not they're even doing it. That would be people that get fall under a greenwashing category. They're just trying to keep up with something because they think it's a trend. They think sustainability is a trend. It's not an actually, you know, a movement of, of, practices that incorporate a company-wide transition you know there's there's also the brands that that want to be sustainable but they actually don't know what is even required because most people in fashion actually know nothing about fashion they're following whatever guidelines people tell them so the factory says hey recycled plastic uh you know water bottle you know rpet polyester it's that's super sustainable people like oh my God, that's great. You're taking plastic bottles and turning it into, you know, clothes. That's super sustainable. But they don't even ask the questions like, wait a minute, you're taking a piece of plastic I can grab with my hands. You're melting it down into a little fiber I'm going to put on my skin. And keep in mind that your skin is also your largest organ on your body, absorbing everything from the air and whatever's on it. You're taking plastic bottles and you're turning it into stuff you're going to put on that, your skin. That doesn't make any sense already. You know, if you consider oil drips into the ocean and gets on animal sea life and kills them, you know, you're pretty much doing the same thing to yourself. A lot of these plastic fibers, whether they come from plastic bottles or not, they hold carcinogens. Uh, in, and on top of that, the biggest issue, considering the fact that 60% of fashion garments made now are made from synthetic oil-based derivatives like polyamide, polyester, polyurethane, acrylic, RPET, recycled plastic water bottle, whatever kind of crap that people come up with, they shed little bits of plastic, what we call microplastics. Every time you wash them, every time they're made, every time you even wear them, everything is shedding. Because the best example I can say is imagine that t-shirt that you've had for like years, washed it so many times. From now to the, the, the beginning, or even a sweatshirt, if you, if you think about it, from, from when you first got it to now, it feels lighter, it feels softer, it feels more open and drapey. That's because it's breaking down. Yarns are twisted and they start to, they have ends because they're staple yarns that are about an inch or uh, you know, about um, two and a half to three centimeters long. And they start to get shorter and shorter over time. And, you know, plastics shed a lot. 
So at the end of the day, if you have a company that's saying that they're sustainable just because they use recycled plastics, is that true? Because they're taking one problem and making a worse problem out of it. By taking plastics we can grab with a net or with our hands, or, and then they're turning them into microplastics that are gonna sit down at the bottom of the ocean, or that fish are gonna eat them, that think that it's food and fill up with it and, and consider themselves full and then die because of the starvation. Uh, coral reef are gonna absorb it and it's poison for them, which is the reason why there's so much reef dying in the world. You know, and the ocean is one of, I think it's, uh, what is the ocean, 40% of our oxygen? Something like that. Some I don't know what the exact number is. Number. Yeah, but it, these are the things that, this is what greenwashing is, is that people think that they're doing something without doing any background checks, without doing anything. You know, that's pretty much the same thing as if, if you jumped into a, an airplane and that airplane safety measures were inspected by the same people who made the damn airplane. This is where third-party certifications come in play. No, there's third-party companies that come to inspect safety. It's the same thing with fashion. You have audits for factories to make sure that they're practicing safe labor laws and uh, you know, safe conditions. And you have companies that make sure that you're not using harmful chemicals. There's companies that make sure that you're using more natural chemicals. Uh, you know, there's, there's certifications for a lot of things to make sure you're doing it right. Well, why don't people do certifications? Well, they cost money, yes. Some of them too, the ones that are usually considered nonprofits are okay, but some of them that are not nonprofits, you know, for-profit companies, they can be expensive. They'll charge you $30,000 for one of their certifications because they have to use all the money on marketing. Stray away from them, focus on the people that are doing it right. And always remember that no matter what you do, if you wanna consider yourself a sustainable brand and you don't wanna be a greenwasher, always be open to the fact that you are failing and that you are making mistakes and be respectful and admit those mistakes. You know, even with us, like, um, at Boyish, like I wanted to, I, I came from reformation where, you know, I was able to spread my wings and do whatever the fuck I wanted with sustainability. And it was really nice because I had a company that really supported it. And I realized, all right, the things that we do at ref are unique because, you know, ref has a beautiful business model. You know, they have a founder who is, is very interested in, in making sure that the company stays sustainable. They have a great sustainability team. Um, they have a direct consumer model where they control the whole supply chain. They have their own factory, they have their own stores, they sell mostly online. These are all things that they're able to do to keep their overhead low, which means they can, they can produce products that are better quality and, and use newer sustainable materials that cost a little bit more money versus people that have to sell in the wholesale market because you know, the wholesale market has such crazy middlemen marking things up. So if you cancel all that out, you can have lower prices and better quality by going direct to their customers to tell them about the sustainability, tell them about their products and offer their products directly to them. Now, the rest of the world can't really do that. There's a lot of other uh, stores too that don't even have the prices of, of 100 to $150 jeans which is what Reformation's pricing was. Um, so let's just consider the fact somebody that has to make 50 or $60 jeans. And I'm talking, sorry, in American dollars. Um, you know, these companies need to be able to produce products that are affordable, that still make the margins. And so they usually go to places to, to cut corners to save money. 
And my mentality was, well, let's figure out a way where we can make sustainable jeans that are less expensive and can also sell in the wholesale market. And that's where I kind of started with Boyish was we started with, all right, the most unique fiber is recycled cotton because it already exists. It's already there. There's clothes that are already made that can be thrown away that people don't want to use again. And there's a lot of scraps. Every garment that's made has 20, that 10 to 20% at least of, of waste from cutting out the pieces to put the, gar the garment together. And uh, that normally either gets downcycled or it gets thrown away. So the Sustainable Apparel Coalition has something called the Higgs Index. And at the top of this fiber sort of LCA life cycle assessment of all these fibers, they have at the best fiber to use is recycled cut because it doesn't require any new resources, doesn't require water, land, anything. It just requires a little bit of energy. So I said, why don't we take a traceable cotton that follows practices that maybe aren't as stringent as organic? Uh, and then, you know, so we ended up with BCI, the Better Cotton Initiative, and apply that to recycled cotton. And we have a 100% plant-based fiber, 100% recyclable, and also already included in it is a recycled content. And I thought this is the best way to do that. And then we apply plant-based dyes and then we end up with something that's very unique um, in the realm of price point was still actually, it leveled itself off to be exactly the same price as, uh, as a traditional sort of gene. Um, and what we ended up doing was we, applied the uh, sort of Tonello machine technology in the laundry side of things, which actually uses less water, less electricity, less, um, less time to, to produce everything by using like lasers and, um, and using the Tonello all-in-one systems. And at the end of the day, you end up with a product that we found out was maybe a couple dollars at most more expensive than traditional products. However, I realized that people told me what transparency was in this whole atmosphere, you know? And we looked at the strengths and weaknesses. We saw, all right, the machinery and washing that we're doing with the Tonello machines is great, super advanced, but it's difficult to find factories that maybe have those. Um, so we figured out where are we losing here? Where, where are we missing the boat in the regards of sustainability? And it was with our fiber because we realized that sustainability has to have transparency with knowing exactly what you're getting. And when we started looking into audits on the farm fields for what we were using through BCI, we found out that technically being a BCI member um, is, means just receiving a PDF for practices to follow. So no different than getting something in the mail even from, from somebody cold calling, cold marketing you. Really? That's really yeah. interesting. And just for people who don't know, BCI stands for the Better Cotton Initiative. Just am I getting that right? Yep. And so, you know, we admitted that, you know, like that wasn't the best thing to use. And so we didn't want to just use organic cotton because also a lot of people don't realize that I think it's like 60%. No, I don't want to state a number, but there's a large percentage of organic cotton that is out there that actually is not organic. And, uh, you know, falsified certifications. Really? And also just in general, like if, if you're a brand and you, like, let's just imagine you're a young student coming out of college. Like, I want to be a fashion designer. I want to start my own brand. 
You know nothing about the way the industry works. You have no idea how everybody's fucking you over. And that's something that takes experience or it takes somebody that has experience to tell you about it. And they don't realize that a lot, you know, can you tell the difference between organic and regular cotton? If you got something, you bought it? No, I, I can barely tell the difference. Um, and then I even get people to ask me the questions, well, organic is actually less soft and it's more rough and it falls apart easier. And I'm like, whoa, that's because you're probably using somebody that doesn't know how to use organic cotton because it does require a different practice versus traditional cotton because it is a, has a little bit more of an oilier sediment on the fibers. It is a little bit dirtier. Um, you know, some people do machine picking, some people do hand picking. There's a lot of ways where you can produce quality products utilizing organic. Um, it just depends on how you, how you produce it, where it's produced. And that comes down to the transparency in the supply chain and, uh, and knowing where your products are coming from and making sure that they're, you know, they're coming from places that are supported the right way, that are certified the right way. Um, and even at the end of the day, you find out it is actually organic. There's still the condition of land usage and water usage. You know, are they doing things the right way? Are they using drip irrigation? Are they using wild irrigation? You know, um, you know how does, they, what kind of fertilization are they using? Yeah. And how, but so like all of these, I feel like people listening, cause like I'm listening and I'm, you know, I, I have a pretty rough idea of this stuff already, but you know, how does the average consumer say, you know, they want to go somewhere and buy an organic pair of jeans from a conscious collection, let's say a fast fashion retailer, you know, how do they know whether or not that company has gone through the right audits, has, you know, looked at these sort of things, because is it just the fact that, you know, if they're selling for under a hundred quid, you can assume that probably there have been steps missed out or corners cut or, you know what I mean? Cause like, how does the average consumer start to grasp the level of scrutiny that we should be placing on things like our jeans? Well, it, you can't really dictate price. The difference between organic and regular cotton is about 30 to 60 cents. Per pair? It's nothing. Yeah. Okay. Give or take the garment size and the composition of how much cotton it included in it. Uh, I'm taught because that's pretty much the general price point of a kilogram mm -hmm. of uh, cotton uh, versus organic cotton. And it's a minimal difference. But I've had companies try to charge me $2 a yard more to use organic cotton. And uh, it's disgraceful because people take advantage of it you know like oh it's organic I can charge more that's pretty much what it comes down to um, it is difficult as a consumer to find out whether people are doing things right usually it is best practice to consider the fact that most large retailers fast fashion retailers are not doing things right they have the capability to set up screens curtains even if they are showing you stuff it's usually somewhat manipulated. Um, I also believe in the fact that no company should be as large as these companies have gotten. Um, it creates an imbalanced system that brings harm to a lot of other people. And that's the thing about, you know, consumerism with, with fashion and sustainability is, well, how do you make it easier for them? Because if it's too difficult, people just won't care especially when they start to find out, geez, I was trying to buy something sustainable and I found out I wasn't even buying, it wasn't even sustainable. So now I don't even want to try. 
And this comes down to, you know, the best practices of showing customers what it is that you're doing, your, your transparency. What do you want to focus on? And, and that's the thing. There's so many different parts of sustainability that your best bet is, all right, we're a sustainable brand. We're going to do everything sustainably as much as we can. But what are the things that we are doing so much better than everybody else? Like I talk a lot about fabric. Well, that's because fabric is about 60 to 80% of the impact of a garment. While other people focus just on, you know, being fair trade or that they have good factory conditions or, or whatever it is, which is a very, very, very small percentage of what actually goes into it because you're helping, yes, the workers, but to be honest with you, most big companies usually have somewhat decent worker rights because they have to, and they get audits. This is why, for instance, there's companies that claim they're radically transparent. And then there's publications that actually prove, you know, that H&M and Zara were more transparent than these people. You know, and that's the thing is, you know, I was talking earlier about greenwashing is that if you want to be a truly sustainable brand, you can't be afraid of, of making mistakes because when you find mistakes, you solve them, you solve them with yeah. solutions. And that's the formula of sustainability. Identify issues and problems within your supply chain that are creating problems for the planet, for humans, and put solutions to them to make them better. Yeah. But what every brand is doing is we need something sustainable. Just pick something. I don't fucking care what it is. <laughs> and and throw some fucking little flowers or some shit on it. I don't even know. Just make it pretty. Yeah. That, that's literally their mentality. So then you end up with everybody because the easiest thing to do and the cheapest thing to do is just use organic cotton. But only 0.7% of the world's cotton farms are organic, truly organic. And people even state that that number might even be lower. I believe I'm going off of the number of either GOTS or textile exchange or somebody. I, I, I can't remember where I get these numbers from. They're all somehow in my head and they mesh up. But um, that alone would be let's just say zara's like i'm going to use all organic cotton for all of our cotton garments that would that that 0.7 percent is only enough for them yeah. and so, so a lot of people are using unorganic cotton out there so i and i think that like you make a really good point i mean for instance like for us you know going back to your thing about the plastic bottles it's like we get so many brands coming to Rev now that are saying we're using all recycled plastics. And it is something I struggle with so much as to whether or not, you know, and these are brands who genuinely think they're doing something good because the counter argument is what are we going to do with all of this plastic that exists on earth, you know? And it's like, that's something that I, I was thinking about earlier is, you know, what like for instance recycled cotton is great because it's a plant-based fabric it's like the best thing but like what do we do with a resource that's you know like for instance in the world there's so much nylon there's so much polyester like is there a place for those things or do we just have to like i mean like my husband was like maybe we should ship it all into space you know like because literally it almost seems like there's no, 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 no. earth for it to like no there's 100 percent. there plastics are extremely important for our you know, future. Um, but it's regulation that needs to happen. You know, the things that are happening right now with the, with the virus pandemic, where we have to keep everybody inside, we have to keep everybody inside because people don't have the, the self-discipline to be able to follow rules correctly, to coexist in society without being able to spread a virus. 
if you take that same example and apply it to our everyday life, that's happening every day. Humans don't give two shits about each other, nor do they care about the environment. They only care about themselves, what they can get, how much money they can get, how much power they can have, how much sex they can have, how much food they can eat, how many cars they can, it's whatever, it, it, it's a very selfish, self-centered sort of mentality that we have. Um, and this is because, um, you know, a loss of, of cultural values of ethics, morality in the realm of respect that, that has been lost, especially in the earlier generations. You know, people care more about how many people watch my TikTok than if I kept my word and I told somebody I was going to see them and I didn't cancel, which is something that most people, you know, if you go back enough time, would have never done because it would have been such a disrespectful thing, you know, frowned upon, you know, even if you look at returns at stores, people used to be deathly afraid of, of returning. They felt embarrassed to go into a store and return something. It was frowned upon. But now you have internet trolls that buy and return, buy and return, buy and return. You know how bad that is for the environment because of all the shipping that has to be done with that, let alone the amount of that a brand has to, to endure. And you know, and these are these are difficult things that you have to figure out. And in a time where everyone's giving free shipping and free this, you know, I decided I'm gonna charge people for shipping because they need to understand that this is something that has value. If you take the value away from it, people think that there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But they need to understand and and this is difficult in a time where everybody's going one way and we're trying to go the other way. And um, with plastics, this is something that it's not that we can't have them. It's how do we use them correctly? How are they made correctly so that they don't pollute the world? And that's the thing is it's like I'm talking plastics in a general term right now, not just plastics that come from oil because you can make plastic from plants. And that's the thing is, is that we have renewable resources that we can grow that also sequester carbon from the atmosphere that do not require as much water as other crops that don't require pesticides that don't require the fertilizers that pretty much can limit the entire use of these crazy harmful um, oil-based fossil fuels and they're trees and that's the uniqueness is that we are cutting down trees and in place of those, we're putting things that produce even more methane, carbon dioxide, and nitrous oxide. And that's the complete opposite mentality that we should have. This is a degrading society that we live in, degrading mentality, degrading uh, industry. Plastics have a place in the future by figuring out how to use them. Now, plastics in a filament fiber don't shed as much as staple fibers. What does that mean? That means a backpack that is made from polyester or polyamide is going to shed less than your yoga leggings that are made from recycled polyester that was made from recycled plastic water bottles. You know, and, and that's the thing is also, you know, if you're thinking, let's think about um, a snowboarding jacket, a, a, a coat to block the rain, um, some sort of material to use in some functionality of sports or you know an activity these can be used in filament fibers with a shell that's based 
uh, out of natural resources. So cotton, uh, linen, wool, you know, if it's okay to use plant-based or animal-based products, which is, you know, skeptical in certain ways. We're a vegan, uh, plant, we're a plant-based company that we focus on using, trying to use all plant-based products. Um, you know, we're PETA approved because a lot of denim has, um, you know, certain chemicals that use animal fats or uh, leather or um, also a lot of fashion companies that use wool, cashmere, things like that. So we actually stray away from it. But that's everybody else's decisions. So is, you know, the plastics. It's just how you use them and how you, how you incorporate it. Um, hard plastics, like for instance, a car is made out of a lot of plastics. Your cell phone, a lot of plastics. Um, computers, um, everyday life, uh, appliances, um, things you use in the shower, a lot of these things don't necessarily need to be plastic. So we just need to identify which ones can be plastic. And at the end of the day, we can use recycled plastics. And, and that's regulation of figuring out, all right, in our society, if we use plastics for, for these items, and then we outlaw plastics for these items because of the amount of fiber shedding that they produce and the amount of issues that they create. Um, a lot of people, you know, instead of figuring that out, they just think the best thing to do is find a filter that filters out the plastic so that we can catch them, which doesn't really help the problem of, you know, producing products that are more natural based. Because also if you use plant-based materials, they're easier to recycle in the future. You can recycle them cellulosically like we do with the Refibra, or you can, um, there's also other companies like Evernew. Um, there's also a company in, in Sweden called um, Renew Cell that is doing great uh, recycling in the realm of taking post-consumer and also post-industrial scraps and, and waste and cellulosically recycling them into a fiber that is biodegradable. And this is the mentality that everybody needs to look at. And it's not simple, which is the reason why a lot of people don't do it. But the people that are out there that know how to do it should be helping educate others on how to do it. And education is something that doesn't exist enough, which is why with Boyish, we try to educate our consumers on having the knowledge of the issues, but also understanding the solutions. And, and that's what we really strive to do is, is we try to make something exciting, entertaining, you know, sexy, and educational all at the same time. And I think that's definitely very doable. And I think you guys are, are brilliant at it. But I think, you know, so much of what you're talking about is an overall like ethos of a truly, you know, inspiring and inspired company. So I wanted to get into a little bit about something I'm really excited that you're part of, which is the 1% for the planet um, organization. It's something that I don't think that many brands, um, certainly you're the only one that we've got on Revolvera that's a part of it. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about that and, and what that means and, and why you were inspired to join to join it really excuse me can you repeat the which which program or program one percent for the planet one percent for the planet um we joined one percent in the very very beginning before we were making money um which was kind of funny because my mentality is that sustainable companies like i said before they might do one tiny little thing that's five percent of their brand i thought that that's just bullshit that people are sitting here getting people to back them saying that they're doing all this good but they're not really and I was like, no matter if I make all my products perfectly sustainable, 
what is that necessarily? Is that helping? No, it's still creating capital, you know, products that are having harm to the world, just less than traditional. And um, the two other things I feel like every other, if you want to consider yourself sustainable, you need to do two other things. So you have sustainable products, you have social good, which is our 1% for the planet, and you also have carbon neutrality. And so with 1% for the planet, it helps connect us to programs, for instance, like One Tree. Um, One Tree is an organization that helps plant trees around the world. Trees are very important. We are losing them faster than we are growing them. So we're trying to do as much as we can. You buy it, you buy a gene, you we plant a tree. It's that simple. And trees help take carbon out of the uh, atmosphere, which gives us one step closer to carbon neutrality. Um, we also connected to a company called Solar Sister, and this is a great company because um, it's a young uh, a young woman based out of DC. She goes to rural villages in Africa, and she finds the matriarch of the village, and she helps connect them to become an entrepreneur. And in this sort of um, process of making this matriarch the entrepreneur, she's helping her build a solar power energy company for the village that was otherwise using kerosene, charcoal, firewood inside, which creates a lot of uh, cancerous uh, fumes that you know either makes them go blind, get cancer, die, whatever it is. Also in this regard, it gives them the, the capability of creating water pumps and water filtration systems with using um, solar power. And that's kind of like the future of it all is first you start with replacing a lot of these small appliances to be powered off of uh, solar electricity, lights, um, oven stoves. And then eventually the, the outcome of, the, of this is that they have clean energy and they're doing it the right way. Otherwise, most companies, or excuse me, most small villages would start with coal and that's extremely bad for the environment. So this mentality of connecting to these people that we feel like connect to our ethos, you know, we are able to do that through 1% for the planet. And what 1% means is that we use 1% of our revenue uh, that every year and we donate it to these organizations. And that's something that to me feels like it should be a cost of goods. 1% doesn't seem like a lot, but if you compare it to revenue of companies, for instance, companies that give away millions of dollars, you know, what, let's just say a company gives away $20 million and, you know, they make $20 billion a year. You know, what, what is that percentage? And I'm going to work this out right now so I can actually give you an exact number. 20 billion. And also Jordan, whilst you're working it out, would you say there are quite a few fashion companies that make that amount of money? Well, I mean, 20 billion, that's going to be your, you know, up, up in that sort of realm is your Zara's, Uniqlo, um, H&M's, um, Nike, Adidas. So, yeah, actually probably a lot. Quite a lot. Um, a lot more than you would probably think in the billion dollar mark. Um, you know, and so if you think about it like that, 20 million to 20 billion, that is, uh, that is 0.1%. And so 1% is really not a lot. And that's the thing is this that what these big companies do is that they say that, oh, you know, we gave away $20 million, you know, or, or they'll give away 5 million and then they'll spend even more money on marketing that they gave that away. And it's barely nothing. But yes, when you compare it to somebody that's making maybe 30,000 American dollars a year, that's a lot of money. Then, like, 
wow, I wish somebody would give me that. But they don't realize like, you know, that this is, that is a sort of form of greenwashing in a way of, of manipulating the good that you're doing, even though it's just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit and, and really living off of it. Yeah. Telling everybody, oh, we do this, we do that. You know, the funniest thing is like, there's even companies like in the food industry, like Yoplait, I think it was, that got sued for billions of dollars because they try to market their products as healthy. You know, probiotics, it's good for your intestinal. But at the end of the day, animal-based milks, especially from cows, have high levels of hormones in them. And that women over the age, I think, of 50 have a 40% more chance of getting breast cancer by consuming cow's milk. You know, and you're marketing this as, hey, you should totally eat more of this. You know, and that's the world we live in. And, and it's difficult because your health and your lives are at stake at the end of the day because people are selling you things that are going to give you cancer because we, a lot of, almost every human, you know, lives with, you know, dormant cancer cells and and there's all these things in life to pretty much activate them. They either activate naturally or, you know, they require force and duct uh, activations from a lot of these things. And, and this is happening a uh, little bit by little bit, uh, you know, with fashion, you know, uh, I think it was, was it Zach Posen designed the, um, I think it was the Delta, um, the Delta Airlines uh, uniforms. And they're made with such an awful material. They were starting to give skin rashes, um, health issues, losing hair, uh, yes, to all the employees. It was pretty bad. And I think it was in collaboration with, with another company, but, um, but that's the thing is just like, people don't realize you're all just put, you're putting these, you're you're taking products and you think that they're inexpensive because they're $10 and you think you're getting a great deal on them, but they're full of volatile organic compounds, neurotoxins, carcinogens, just a lot of things that are really bad because these are materials made from oil that are dyed using materials from oil that are then given to you to purchase them. You're actually buying them to damage yourself. It's not like they were given to you and then you had to deal with it. Like maybe for instance, these people from the airlines and they fall apart. And in the life cycle of you buying some shit product that falls apart, you have to buy it several times. And so you think about it, you're like, all right, let's just imagine at the end of the day, I buy four of these. That was the cost of having one of them that actually survived that length of time and maybe even longer. You know, like genes, if you use genes as an example, longevity is something I always talk about in our sustainability atmosphere because we produce genes that last. You know, if you look at it, people are buying vintage jeans. Do you, you have like a pair of vintage Levi's or Wranglers or something? Oh my God, yeah. I have my um, mom's. Yeah, exactly. How old do you think that that is? Like 30 years at least, probably? At least, yeah. Yeah, and so if you consider that, like why, why did those jeans last 30 years and you can wear them now as if they're new jeans, yet the jeans we buy for 20 quid at, you know, stores I'm not going to mention right now, um, you know, fall apart after washing them a few times. You know, or if at the very longest, they last a year or two until you start to see that they start to get the ripples or they start to, you know, break or whatever it is. And you realize, you know, this is shit products because they're putting more oil-based materials, more plastics inside of these garments that don't belong there, less natural products. And this mentality of us creating these bad products is something that we got to get away from. 
Yeah. And uh, that's the reason why, you know, when we look at sustainability, we look at it in all these different parts. We look at it as in producing products that are recyclable, circular, zero waste. And then we look at it as in giving back socially. And then we even look at after we're done with all of that, what's left behind? How much damage have we done? How much carbon dioxide have we put into the environment? We measure it. And then we take those measurements and we buy carbon offsets that support clean energy projects like um, hydro energy, um, solar energy, um, you know, any sort of projects. Currently right now we're investing um, in a hydro energy project in India. Um, India is one of the fastest growing countries in the world. It has a population I think that's either the same size as China or if not, it might've surpassed it um, with population size, but the infrastructure is by far way less. And uh, so that's why if you, you know, a lot of harm can come from that if it's not, if it's not done correctly. So that's actually, it's, it's actually one of the last points I want to bring up with you that's like quite techy, but I think it's really important, this idea of carbon neutrality, because for instance, I don't know if you caught this, but earlier this year, a really big luxury fashion house said that they'd become carbon neutral and they got a ton of accolades for it. And when I actually started to ask people, you know, well, how is that measured and how is that mitigated and how did all of that happen? Nobody seemed to have a very clear answer as to how they got to this point of carbon neutrality. And I think other brands are starting to use this a lot as a marketing ploy. So how do you, how do you say like at Boyish as a small sustainable brand, we are really, we're really doing carbon neutrality in the right sort of way when I think a lot of people are doing it in the wrong sort of way. Uh, I mean, it is tough. I have to say the first year we measured our own um, emissions and it was, you know, I came from Reformation. We had a sustainability department and <laughs> the girls did a lot of that. I got to go find the fun stuff, make the stuff. The girls would put the math together for me. They'd give me kind of the guidelines. Loved working with them and I miss them to this day. Um, <laughs> the real, the real kicker is doing it yourself. I gotta say, you know, I was using the Qantas scope three calculator. I was measuring square footage in kilowatts for our space. I had to contact my factories. I had to figure out how many jeans they made in an entire year for every company. And then how many they made for us, what their water usage and electricity usages were. To, and I was like, whoa. Like sustainability is already super difficult and that just is the, the fucking icing on the cake. It's the candle on top. And um, I ended up discovering this new company that was just about to launch called uh, Climate Neutral. And, and I was, uh, so I contacted them and I was like, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, very interested in this. And they told me about their project was to help more companies become carbon neutral by learning about it and helping them measure their emissions. I was like, Oh my God, this is what everybody needs. <laughs> this is going to make things more simple. Their measurements are more broad spoke. They're not so much extremely accurate as if you did your own, but I have to say it is a thousand times better than doing nothing. Yeah. And you know, the main focus is that if you're a smaller brand that is produces under 5 million a year, that you just get the general sort of construct construction of this is what goes into your carbon emissions based off of your amounts of units that you're making and depending on what sector and what business you're in. Um, 
And so they've really figured out how to kind of segregate industries and to simplify it for small companies. And then if you're a bigger company, there's a, there's a whole um, measuring program that you have to go through that's more extensive because you have the resources, which I'm like, this is exactly how you need to be separating things. You know, you need to be separating things on people that need help that don't have the resources. And then the people that do have the resources, they have to go through a more um, strict guidelines. And I, I, I just love that concept of how they were putting it together. And, um, and so we, even though the first year we'd done our own, we decided to join climate neutral because we believed in it. We want to motivate others to also join it so that they can learn how to become um, carbon neutral and how to help the environment is being carbon neutral in that all that you do make you a sustainable company. No, it does not. It is a very small thing which is the reason why I talk about each individual step. The manufacturing cycle, if you're creating products, is where you're going to make the most impact. The second is going to be obviously balancing out that with some social good. And then the final is going to be whatever's left over is what you have to neutralize. And that is pretty much the three ways of becoming a sustainable brand. But obviously, that's easier said than done. The manufacturing side, as we said earlier, can be extremely difficult. But there are companies out there that are helpful. Um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation has something called the Jeans Redesign Project. If you don't know much about how to make jeans sustainably, that is a great initiative to start with. Uh, follow their guidelines. Um, you know, link up with companies like Oecotex and Gots, which is the global organic textile standard, yeah. that uh, have very strict guidelines on chemicals. You know, um, what is the msrl what is the rsl those stand for the restricted substance list and the manufacturer's restricted substance list believe it or not the uh you know the fda here in the united states they only actually approve of i think 17 uh chemicals that are used in textiles even though the textile industry uses over 2000 you know it's it's pretty astronomical some of the things that you find out when you start to to look at uh you know, data and research. You know, I, I, I read a lot of, uh, you know, uh, what is it, university dissertations and things like that that a lot of professors are putting out because they're the only ones that will support that data because a lot of industries don't want to come out with that information, that data, because it, it actually directly affects their profitability and their, their power of market share and things like that. And this is why it's very difficult for consumers to get information. And this is why they get a lot of misinformation. Um, it's very easy to do it. And the importance of these third-party certifications, the importance of using, you know, if you see a company that's doing 1% for the planet and is that climate neutral certified, you know, these are things that give the consumer, oh, these people are actually doing things. Like they have these other companies that have told, told them pretty much the consumer that they are okay. They give you thumbs up. You know, there's companies like remake.world is the website. Uh, an amazing company. They have their, uh, their program right now that they're, they are pushing these big companies like H&M to pay their vendors, <laughs> even though they're not, because I don't know if you, you know, like, there's like starvation that's happening in some of these countries like Bangladesh, because, you know, if everybody just cancels their orders and there's no work for these people, these people are only paid enough to survive. If you take one day, one week away from them, you know, that is starvation for them because guess what? That's what you get for buying things for 10, 20, 
dollars, pounds, um, is, you know, these people have to suffer for you to be able to wear your shitty product for only even, most people only want to wear things a couple of times because they don't want to see, be seen in wearing something more than once, which is a ridiculously stupid uh, mentality. Um, but it helps them understand it. There's even companies like uh, goodonyou.eco, uh, which is their website. They, um, you know, they also go through that extra extent on, on, on measuring the uh, sustainability of a company. You know, so they're able to tell you, like, you can find out about how Everlane isn't that sustainable or about how Reformation is very sustainable. You know, it's one of the few publications I've ever seen talk about microfiber plastic shedding and also talk about how viscose or rayon is extremely bad as well. Yeah. You know, what some people call bamboo, <laughs> you know, and that's the funny thing is because there's a lot of things out there that people are like bamboo is super sustainable. And you're like, dude, that is made from extremely harmful chemicals and most viscose manufacturers around the world do not have good water filter uh, treatment plants on site. And so they're poisoning water streams, uh, which poisons villages, which kills people. Yeah. All just so you can have some cheap shitty product. So. so I feel like it's a lot of food for thought for people. And I think it's so funny because every conversation I have on this podcast really just comes back to the same thing, which is we've got to stop buying cheap fast fashion. It's just, there is no solution to a sustainable fast fashion brand. It just, it seems to be, you know, kind of screwed from the ground up. So I think, I think it's a really strong takeaway and to kind of, and Jordan, on a, a more positive note, because I know that these conversations can be a bit bum out, um, is I have been seeing that you have been gardening and that you're taking the boyish team and doing some gardening. And I love that you kind of are engaging with the natural world a little bit further than, you know, through what you do. You actually are like literally going and getting the hands dirty. And can you just kind of tell us why you've kind of started this as an enterprise where you're doing this with your team and what the positive effects of it has been. Yeah. Um, before I worked at, well, actually, yeah, before I worked at Reformation, I worked for a company, I was a consultant and I was designing uh, for other companies and producing products for other companies. I was working with Revolve primarily. I was doing uh, like Lovers and Friends, Chula Rosa, and uh, I created the brand Girlfriend for them the one that doesn't have any of the vowels, it's G-R-L-F-R-N-D. And uh, I saw that this company, you know, amazing young entrepreneurs, and I was very inspired by them, hard workers, great people. I've known them for a long time, but I saw the mentality shifting to where I started seeing them appreciate influencers and, and celebrities and people that had that were like friends with these people just enough and they would be friends with them and, and give them attention just long enough to be able to get their connections and get their resources and this and then starting doing this like revolve around the world mentality and i was like is this really like where we're going on things like that we need to motivate women that hey guess what you don't have to work hard is all you need to do is be an influencer and you get to travel around the world and drink and most likely you know get hammered and not do much besides take pictures of your food and, and outfits or, you know, in a bikini on a beach. And that to me didn't really feel like it was motivating women to be better women. And when I was at Reformation, they had something called the Planteers Project. And they would do fun little things like uh, they did like a, a Jeopardy show on, on uh, recycling. 
which I thought was really cool. And they would do little planting um, or uh, like plant gardens or make your own home, uh, you know, cleaners with natural materials. Lots of fun little things. And barely anybody would show up to these things. It was only for the uh, corporate employees. And I was like, this is so cool. The sustainability team put it on. I was like, I wanted this, like I was very inspired by, you know, both things, both Revolve and how they can communicate and get girls interested using influencers to, to be a part of their company. And then on the other end, in Reformation doing that, but in a, in a unique way that actually benefits people in an educational format of improving their lives. And I wanted to put that together into one thing. And so at Boyish, I, uh, volunteering was always a big thing for me. I've been a big plant person all my life. Uh, which is probably, you know, living here in California, I'm very in tune with the earth. I like to go hiking. I like to, um, I surf a lot. So I'm very much in nature. My apartment, I got like a hundred plants in here. It's like a jungle. Um, so we started something called Cool to Care. It's our little project where every month or every other month, I take my team of girls who work for me and we go do volunteer work. And we invite influencers, celebrities, um, publicists, editors, even friends or family members. My mom comes a lot to, uh, to a lot of these events. And we do things like beach cleanups, um, uh, river cleanups, park cleanups, um, wetlands cleanups, uh, plant trees, um, take care of trees that were recently planted. Um, we help team moms. We go to uh, homeless shelters, women's shelters to, to, to help sort um, donations or, or do lunch services, uh, whatever it is. And what the goal is, is that we're here to motivate women that it's actually cool to care about things like that. And it's cool to do things like that versus it being cool to travel and, and get wasted and to just be, you know, showing people, you know, what to buy. A lot of influencers still uh, promote a lot of fast fashion, which is actually what is, is really made that industry catch on like wildfire uh, because, you know, these influencers need to wear an outfit every day, a different outfit all the time. Yeah. And uh, which motivates other women to want to live up to that lifestyle. So we're just trying to show women that it's a different way to do things. And, you know, I personally get a kick out of it. Uh, I, it is voluntary. I don't make my employees go. But um, I do motivate them that it's a good thing to do. I mean, they get a go and it's a paid day off for them. And we go and we have lunch afterwards as a thank you. So it's just a nice little way to, to help um, kind of close the loop in our whole cycle of what I was talking about. We put this in, this is kind of goes into our social good. You know, we do 1% for the planet and then our cool to care project kind of sits right next to it. And that's kind of our, what we give out to the world as a thank you for supporting us. And when you buy products from Boyish, this is what the money goes to. It goes to us doing more good. Um, it's not going to buying vacation homes or expensive cars or drugs or supporting um, some sort of sexually harassing boss at the top of your company that you know you dread going to work to you every day and you cry after you go home. I want people to come to work and I want work not to be the main focus of their life, but an intertwined functionality of living life and that working is living for them and it's fun. And um, which is an actual funny mentality that now everyone's working from home. Uh, I actually give all my employees one work from home day anyways. So 
most of my employees were already used to working from home. So it wasn't really a, a difficult transition. Um, it was just difficult for me because I was the only one that was going into the office to do all the, the, the web returns and everything like that. Um, you know, because I didn't want to put any of my employees at risk. So I was trying to keep the flow of running the business, still doing design, talking to, to the factories that were still open and doing all of our customer service and web returns. And it was, uh, it was a lot, but um, I think it's important that people that own businesses take care of not just their customers, but they take care of those who help them build the business, which is the employees and their supply chain. Well, I can't think of a better, um, I can't think of a better thing to end on. So all I can say, Jordan, is, is thank you. And I feel it's, it's just an incredible brand. I, I love listening to you. And I think everybody's going to really appreciate hearing that there is someone who is trying to do so much good through business. So thank you. And um, take care out there in LA. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on here. And I apologize about getting all crazy and technical about all that sustainability stuff. It was perfect. We need to do it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I wish you the best of luck. Stay healthy. Stay safe out there. Jordan, thank you. Bye. Bye.